Welcome to Punta Vista, episode 111. Uh, it's a lot of number ones. And we've got three number ones for you right here. Ah, shit. Yeah. Can't wait for episode triple two. Triple <laughs> two. Oh, it's going to take us a while. There's me, Andrew, number one. Also number one is Theo. Hey, I'm I'm number one. Sorry, that took a lot of psychic energy to actually say. You're number one. You're number... And Lucy is also number one. Woot. Because we believe in equality. All of us simultaneously ranked number one on the podcast. We're all at one of those new fandangled millennial schools where everyone <laughs> just gets an A. All getting our participation trophies. Mm-hmm. So nice. It is. Do you guys get your participation trophy? I did. It says I'm number one on it. Oh, Hell yeah, dude. Feels good. Damn, it feels good. Ben's still traveling across the United States, which means he is currently number two. He's a big old number two. Mm. You can make the dookie joke about that one. Mm. That's fine. We all agree with it. So, um, uh, a lot of, lot of stuff going on in the news. Listen, this thing's going on. Everything happens so much. Everything, Everything does happen so, so much. much. Um, and of course, we all get to read about it on social media. Because who doesn't love having their brain constantly poisoned by the energy of social media? The horror Mm. machine that I pick up as soon as I wake up in the morning. (laughs) Immediately start funneling that into my brain. Mm. So, um, over the last week or two, there was an interesting court case in Australia where a public servant was sacked for their social media posts, series of appeals, all that kind of thing, and... Uh, this has been seen by the media class and uh, I think a lot of the centre-left community as this horrible dystopian, the government is squashing your right to post type stuff. But, um, but I think you've got to look at the case in a bit more detail before you get too excited about that angle. So I, kn- I know that, it's a, that it is very much the default centre-left position to say, hey, um, no form of political speech should be censored by your employer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I would remind everybody, it's not that long since we had the whole um, Israel Falau to-do, mm. in which a famous rugby union player uh, loved to get on social media and tell um, all of the homosexuals and trans people and gamblers and alcoholics and everything that they're all going to burn in hell for all of eternity. Um, and he got fired by Australian Rugby League because he had re-signed to a very specific contract that said, you have to stop doing that. And he went, okay, give me millions of dollars, please. And they went, okay. And he said, cool. You're all going to hell. Send tweet. Um, so everyone was perfectly happy in that instance to turn around and say, well, that was the contract he signed. That was the contract he signed with his employer, which we love to see left-wing people invoking the rights of the employer (laughs) in their arguments. Great stuff. So, let me give you what has been kind of the, 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 I guess, straight um, Australian media version of this story. This is from The Guardian. Uh, High court rules that public servants can be sacked for political social media posts. Free speech test case of former immigration department employee. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna just pick a pronunciation for this lady's name because I haven't heard it spoken anywhere, and I'm gonna stick with that. Apologies to her and anyone who actually knows how I'm meant to be saying it. Um, Michaela Benerji, 
Sounds right. Feel, feels sure. fine to me. Looks correct. Uh, former Immigration Department employee, employee Michaela Banerjee has implications for 2 million federal, state, and local workers. Uh, the High Court has unanimously upheld a decision to sack a public servant, Michaela Banerjee, for anonymous social media posts that criticized the government's immigration policy. Now, keep this in mind that this is the way that this has been framed. Um, anonymous posts criticizing the government's immigration policy. Which I will say is probably the takeaway that I have seen from many of like our friends as well. Um, mm-hmm. That's sort of the message and certainly the first impression we got of the mm. situation when this sort of came out, which is a scary thing, right? To say that if, you're, if your face is, on, is not on the account and you're just, you know, you've got some truth anon at, at Twitter thing and they somehow through like investigative work or whatever hunt you down and go, no, you cannot say these bad things anonymously. And then, you know, there's this all, all to do. It's probably not a great, probably not a great look, I would say, as far as those things go, but... As you said, why don't as we? You said, let's let this play out because mm, let's, let's hear because this more. is very much the assessment that we've all been seeing of this. Mm-hmm. Now, I would note straight off the bat in these two sentences that a thing that I feel again has been overlooked here is um, uh, posts that criticise the government's immigration policy and also immigration department employee. So she's already in the actual department that she's publicly mm-hmm. criticising the policy of. Now, we are no fans of the government's immigration policy on the show. Let's let that be known. <laughs> the court delivered its judgment in a landmark freedom of speech test case on Wednesday, upholding an appeal from the workers' compensation agency, Comcare, which argued that it was reasonable for the immigration department to sack Banerjee. The case has implications for 2 million federal, state, and local public servants as the court declined to use the constitutional implied freedom of communication to rule that the sacking was unreasonable. Banerjee was sacked for breaching the public service code of conduct which requires public servants to be apolitical at all times, they've pulled out at all times in scare quotes, for anonymous tweets from her La Ligal Twitter account. Now, again, the implication here is that she was tweeting this stuff at, at midnight from an incognito tab in a secure location and the government somehow tracked her down um, and found it, or that, or that she you know, <laughs> whispered behind her hand to someone at a barbecue that, uh, that she didn't agree with this policy. After an unsuccessful unfair dismissal claim, Banerjee won a workers' compensation case where the Administrative Appeals Tribunal found that her sacking was unreasonable in part because it breached the implied freedom. In the majority judgment, the Chief Justice Susan Kiefel and Justices Virginia Bell, Patrick Keane and Jeffrey Nettle overturned that decision, noting the implied freedom is not a personal right of free speech. So this is where we start to get back into the Israel Falau territory of we don't actually have any like absolute right to free speech in Australia um, and so this this lady is kind of trying to say my my personal right to free speech trumps any and all you know agreement that I've made with my employee uh, they noted that public service rules um, say that anyone who posts on social media should assume that their identity and public employee um, employment will be revealed, an obvious risk that means even so-called anonymous tweets can damage the public service. Outside the court, Banerjee said she had taken legal action to, quote, affirm the role of freedom of speech for public servants, and we failed. Her lawyer, Alan Anforth, said that the case could have implications beyond public sector employment. I'm not sure how. Uh, this is a case very specifically about 
whether or not um, this woman's tweets contravened the Australian Public Service Code of Conduct. Um, but somehow he's saying that it could have implications beyond that arrangement. He says, the implication is that for any employee-employer relationship, if the employee is critical of the employer's position on some politically relevant social issue, they can be sacked, her lawyer said. The Community and Public Sector Union National Secretary, Nadine Flood, said the union was disappointed in the decision because, quote, people working in Commonwealth agencies should be allowed normal rights as citizens rather than facing Orwellian censorship because of where they work. Dun, dun, dun. Scary word. It's like 1984. That's right. That's the book that Orwell wrote. That's right. Mm -hmm. Um, That he knew all about posting. He would have been a poster. Would have been 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 a big time poster. Big time poster. Now, I read a I read a blog um, from a person I follow on Twitter. A I think he's a lawyer named Mark Fletcher. Um. Now, I believe, I apologize to him in advance if I'm misrepresenting him, but uh, Mark casts himself as a conservative, although I guess more, more of the, like, small L liberal type. Um, and, and generally, he also disagrees with a lot of things that the government does in the name of conservatism, all that sort of stuff. So, um, he wrote a blog about this, titled, If No Truths Are Spoken, Then No Lies Can Hide. Comcare versus Banerjee was a win for democracy. And I found this quite interesting because this actually gives an amount of detail into the case that is not apparent in any of these articles that we're seeing in The Guardian or anywhere else that say, this woman did some casual posting and then she got sacked and that's the end of the story and now no one's allowed to post without getting fired. Because that's, that's the essence of what we're taking away that's from That's definitely this, right? what I'm taking away from it so far. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, so, I'll, I'll read some excerpts from this, so we'll get an idea of what's going on. Uh, petty dissidents, i.e. employees who argue with their bosses over matters of everyday business judgment or who slander their supervisors or who badmouth their companies. It was into this category that the Administrative Appeals Tribunal characterized Michaela Banerjee with the greatest respect. Quote, the tone of her tweets carried her contributions beyond mere education and into the realm of partisan advocacy and personal vitriol. He says, we really need some background. If you are a public servant and you tweet some spicy, spicy stuff on Twitter, what happens is that your supervisor says, hey, don't do that. Pull your head in. And then it's over. If you do it again, they start to look at the code of conduct. 99.9% of the time, everybody is a normal, sensible person about this stuff. Everybody knows that you don't post hog-wild hot takes on Twitter about your own work. And so, for the most part, people don't. Thus, there is absolutely no problem. The Banerjee case was different. Miss Banerjee inexplicably thought it was a good idea to tweet about her work and tag in her boss on some of her sledges. Extremely powerful. So, she she had, like a, I believe, a relatively high-profile position in the immigration department. And was like tagging in a direct supervisor who's wow. a very senior public servant in the same department and hassling them about policy. Powerful and also energy. Like, and also her co-workers and shit too. It's like turning up to your parking lot in a little masquerade mask and yelling at your boss. <laughs> hey, I heard you suck shit. <laughs> 
just like legged it. But I'm sure she took, uh, you know, precautions to make sure that the account was anonymous and so on and so forth. Exactly. I mean, in the Guardian report, it says, well, she tweeted this stuff from her anonymous account and they still found out somehow. It possibly has something to do with the following. She had pictures of her Twitter avatar stuck up at her desk. Why? It's just the most. Why in general shit. would you have this? I all right. I got a theory about this, but let's let's get get through the rest of this paragraph. First. It's like sitting down at uh, Bruce Wayne's desk, and he's got a little framed picture of Batman. <laughs> <laughs> just love huh. that guy so much. Um. She had pictures of her Twitter avatar up at her desk, so her boss, Sandy Logan, had surprisingly little difficulty working out who was behind the account that was constantly tweeting at him about policy. He reported it. She self-represented in the federal court to prevent the department from sacking her. She got sacked. She saw workers' compensation for being sacked. The Administrative Appeals Tribunal inexplicably found in her favor. Today, the High Court returned the universe to normal. I so I think about the having the pictures of your Twitter avatar up at your desk like that to me is the most boomer shit in the world and it represents the class of Australian middle-aged tweeter that we have spoken about on the show before which is somebody <clears throat> somebody with several thousand followers who is convinced that their tweets are actually like changing the country mm, yeah. like yeah people who think that like you know putting putting the the raindrop emoji in their in Hashtag their Twitter close the camps <laughs> in their Twitter screen name is like activism and is actually like changing anything that happens um, and these people also tend to do their tweets about this sort of stuff with like just a level of self importance that is mind-bending. I just want to see these tweets. I feel like I need to see the tweets to form an opinion. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, she had, had pictures of her avatar printed out and stuck up on her desk, which, yeah, like you said, Theo, it's like, like being Batman and sticking up a little picture and going, oh, fuck, it feels good to be Batman. <laughs> <laughs> um. So Mark continues, it's really important that everyone recognizes that this was not normal. Sledging your boss on Twitter, even sledging your employer on Twitter, most people recognize that this is not a good career move. The inexplicable part about this case was that Ms. Banerjee thought that her sledging her colleagues and employer should somehow get a constitutional protection that is not afforded to public employees. So, again, as we, as we say... Like, if you work for the public service, you are governed by the APS Code of Conduct. The APS Code of Conduct has specific things in it about how you are to conduct yourself at work and away from work. And in the case of this sort of stuff, it is that you cannot conduct yourself in a way that, like, makes the public service look bad, basically. Um, so, like... It's not as though if you are a public servant empl service employee that you're not allowed to tweet like, vote yes on marriage equality. The cops aren't going to come around and kick down your door and drag you off to the 1984 Thought Police prison mm. and re-educate you. But like, if you work in a department and are actively involved in a particular type of policy and you are tweeting about that 
That's, at your I boss. Really hate the policies. I mean, I know it's not that simple to just get a different job, but I feel like to have a fairly senior role in immigration, you've you've pursued this career path, you know. Well, and like, and I I know people who work in immigration, right? Like, I know a guy who was a lawyer in the immigration department, and he was there over the years that it was like becoming the sort of full on, like when they created Australian Border Force. <clears throat> and um, when they started, like, you know, doing all the psycho ads and all that sort of stuff. I I know some people where, like, he got to a point where he just said, I don't I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he got himself moved to a different department. Um, which, fair enough. That's absolutely your prerogative to do. And I support it if somebody says, I don't want to be, like, actively taking part in doing this stuff. I also know somebody else who works for immigration, like... Um, processing like uh visa claims for asylum and stuff like that Mm. so you know he does things like um he does things like the whole sort of where where somebody's been in the country and they've overstayed their visa and stuff like that or they've lost their appeal to to get an asylum claim or something or all this different variety of stuff and the person has to be like taken through the whole process and taken to the airport and put on a plane and sent to another country and stuff like that and for him like i i I know this person well and they are like i consider them a left-wing person and i've talked to him about this and said how do you reconcile this kind of stuff and he said well this particular function of the state is going to take place and i would rather that somebody was in there who was going to actually listen to people and treat them with dignity yeah someone has to do these roles absolutely yeah, and, and do this process properly. <clears throat> As opposed to, you know, like he's he's not like a fucking circo guard out there cracking heads at one of the one of the camps or anything. Um so so Mark in this uh blog goes on to kind of talk about some of the actual benefits that are baked into the Public Service Act from nineteen ninety nine, which is one of the things that, that governs, you know, people's behaviour and all this sort of stuff. So he says, far from living under a draconian reign where public servants have their freedom of speech severely curtailed, the APS actively facilitates appropriate participation of public servants in the democratic process. The most well-known of these is right of return. Under section 44 of the Constitution, people who hold offices of profit under the Crown are ineligible to stand for elections. So this is some of the section 44 constitutional stuff that was like a big deal about... uh, what's his name, um, head of the immigration department, Peter Dutton, uh, because he had, he had like, what is, what was it, the shares in the childcare company mm. Mm. that was like receiving some kind of government rebate. Um, there was a similar thing about Karen Phelps where she, when she got elected, she was still operating as a GP and people were like, oh, but if you are a doctor who is taking the Medicare rebate, um, who's taking Medicare payments, then you are profiting from the crown, blah, blah, blah. Um, so he says, the APS has found a sneaky way around that through Section 32 of the Public Service Act. If you're a public servant and you want to stand for an election, you can resign to avoid Section 44 of the Constitution, knowing that you have your right to a job if you're not successful. So basically, if you say specifically like what we're talking about here, if you disagree with these policies so much that you're like, 
I want to run for office and actively change this stuff, you can resign from your job in the public service, run for an election on the basis of trying to change this stuff. And if you are unsuccessful in that, they, they have to hold your job for you and let you come back to it and keep working if you're wow. unsuccessful. That's a fun clause. That's a pretty good deal. Um, and I think that's, you know, one of the many conditions that the Australian public's, uh, public sector union, public sector union, public service union, uh, fights for that are like other, other types of employees do not get. Uh, he says, a less well-known one is the right under the Australian Public Service Commissioner's Directions 2016 to access leave without pay in order to go and work as a ministerial advisor. That is, if you want to go and take up a partisan position within our democratic system, you have an entitlement to leave without pay in order to access it. So again, if you, if you say, hey, I've been given a chance to go and have like very direct partisan active influence over the democratic system here... You are allowed to do that. You're just not allowed to do it as an Australian public service employee. But again, they will say, you know what? You can go and do that job for as long as you like, taking leave without pay to do it, and your job will just be held for you until you're done with it. But Andrew, what if instead I want to put a little water drop emoji in my Twitter name? Yell at my boss. (laughs) (laughs) Um. This is basically nobody should be worried that there is an unreasonable clamping of speech just because you accepted, as Banerjee's lawyer put it, the Queen's shilling. And we can see that in the decision. Miss Banerjee, whose tweets were, quote, reasonably characterized as intemperate, even vituperative in mounting personal attacks on government and opposition figures, was pinged under the Code of Conduct. Everybody recognized that the Code of Conduct was an effective burden on political speech. Miss Banerjee was not permitted to make public comments about particular political topics. Note that this is narrow. The legislation did not ban all political speech, only that which failed to uphold the APS values and the integrity and good reputation of the APS within the meaning of the Public Service Act. What we are arguing about here is really, really narrow. It's not that all public servants are prohibited from making political comments, which is the way it used to be back in the early days of the public service. It's that public servants are prohibited from making political comments that fail to uphold the APS values. So, again, if you get into the specifics of that, what they mean by upholding the APS values is, part of the APS values are you have to be seen to be able to conduct your job in a, in a politically unbiased way. So, it, again, it doesn't mean that you're not allowed to hold political opinions, but if you are directly involved with a particular type of policy, then you can't be out there publicly commenting on it Mm. And more specifically, publicly yelling at your boss about it. <laughs> but um, but yeah, again, like if you if you work like I don't know if you work for Centrelink, if you work for anywhere, you can tweet like vote yes on marriage equality, or you can talk about it on Facebook or whatever. If you are a high level legal official at the department that is conducting the plebiscite. Maybe that's starting to get into the realms of mm. you can't you can't be publicly advocating one way or the other. On These this ones thing. are really tough. Like I want to say that you know I 100% support someone like Israel Folau being fired 
But I think when it comes I'm to just some of clip these, that. I'm just going to clip the first part of that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Why? What I say? I 100% support Israel Flau. Oh, I'm going to just clip rude. that sentence. Please do <laughs> Damn not it. do this. Damn it. <laughs> but sometimes, like in these cases, I feel like you're getting into the territory of like unintentional consequences in terms of if the political opinion was a slightly more right-wing opinion. I don't know. I feel like it's difficult to have a certain rule that doesn't won't affect left-wing people's free speech in some way as well. Like well, in terms like is- in this case and it's clearly not exactly about her political opinions. It's to do with an employer code of conduct just like the Israel Folau case and while I obviously don't think her opinions are awful in that way it's just the way it is I suppose yeah I think that there is a certain like if if we're going to talk about the world that we live in uh, like we are talking about everybody everybody understands that there are like base level obligations that you have with your employer like you know, if you if you work at Subway and you're wearing your Subway uniform on the way home and then you beat somebody half to death at a train station and it's on the news, Subway's probably going to fire you. Yeah. Like, there's just some, just some pretty basic stuff like that. Um, and, and, you know, I think that we, we all, we are all very much on the side of that generally speaking, there is a lot of... Um, a lot of like employer overreach into people's lives these days. A lot of um, a lot of the constant blurring of blurring of the lines of all of this sort of stuff. But like you said, in this particular case, we are getting much more into the realms of a specific code of conduct that your employer has. And I would say that having worked as a public servant in the past, I do not think that the APS code of conduct is like hyper unreasonable. It's also really hard to get fired from the public service. It's incredibly hard to get fired it's from the public so service. It's so hard. If, if your boss rolled up on you and said, hey, um, I've seen these tweets and this is going to be a problem. You know what I would say? Cool. Would you like to watch me right now as I delete my Twitter account in front of you? Give me any excuse to delete my Twitter <laughs> account. <laughs> Give me any excuse. I will delete this thing in front of you right now because um, I got kids to feed and shit. And that's more important to me than tweeting. And uh, like personally, that would be my position. This lady's position was to say, no, let's go to court. I will resent myself. The move that all geniuses make. It's a really smart move. should always represent yourself in court. Always goes well. (laughs) Tell people know that you're as smart as a lawyer. Ted Bundy did it, you know? Worked out for him. Mm. He's (laughs) handsome. (laughs) Um, So, Mark continues here, Lucy, basically straight into what you were starting to touch on there. Imagine if the court had found the other way. Imagine if you couldn't sack an employee of the APS for expressing extremist views about non-white immigration while they worked in visa processing. Mm. Imagine if you couldn't sack an employee of the APS for expressing completely unhinged conspiracy theories about members of parliament. We depend on a professional and apolitical public service for our system of government to work, and Ms. Benezhi could not accept that. Uh, The court also found that the code of conduct was suitable, necessary, and adequate in its balance. Termination is for the serious cases, minor sanctions for the lesser cases. 
It's here the public servants worried about Banerjee should focus their attention. Part of what makes the code of conduct well adapted is not that you can be sacked for every political utterance you make, it's that you run the risk of getting sacked if you stray into the realms of partisan advocacy and personal vitriol. To conclude, should a public servant be worried about Banerjee? Not really. There will be some fringe cases where the risk settings are calibrated slightly differently, but most people who are using their common sense will be entirely fine. The court found that the code of conduct burdened political communication, but the role of the public service was so essential to our system of responsible government that prohibiting particular kinds of political communication was considered legitimate. And this isn't a sledgehammer approach. This is a law that is well adapted to ensure that, it's far, that it goes far enough but not too far. Public servants should not be unduly worried that any and all political speech will be punished, but if you're going to go march in the pro-asylum seeker rally, take off your lanyard. And, uh, I think it's pretty reasonable, really. I'm gonna I think have it's, to def- say. it's definitely not as bad as it was presented as in everything that I had read up to this point. Well, yeah, like we were saying, this entire thing has been presented as this lady was doing some tweets about politics and was immediately sacked. Yeah. As opposed to she continually used her Twitter account to harass her boss and fellow employees um, publicly about like stuff that she was personally working on. And then when asked to stop doing it, said no. Mm. Uh, I'm sorry, but that's just unstoppable boomer energy. There's a lot of boomer energy. You cannot beat it. It's impressive. <clears throat> I just love having your Twitter avatar up in your up in your office. That's it's so cool. We should all start that doing that. It's just incredible. Just so gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you'll be pleased to know that for some reason Australia has started exporting boomer energy. Uh, well, we produce too much of it. We do. We've got, someone. <laughs> we've got a we've got a trade imbalance. <laughs> it's our one export that we just got to get out of here somehow. Well, we do punch above our weight in boomer energy, I feel. It's true. Um, so, for some reason, we haven't talked about her in a while, but um, notorious opinion writer and gender psycho Miranda Devine um, is is getting published like in the New York Post now. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why. They're, like, publishing her opinion columns there. And so she, like, kind of tries to make them sort of America-centric. And it's weird because she barely understands what's happening in her own country. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, so I don't know what the, what the deal is. What does she Maybe they're like, say? we've got to take her off. Maybe they were like, we've got to take her off the um, defending high-profile Catholic rapists beat. <laughs> yeah, put her on something else. Oh, it's starting to dry up. Yeah, she got a little too much heat on her over there. So, um, they've they've shipped her off. I don't know if she's she's working remotely or if she's actually in New York, but uh, she's now writing in the New York Post, and she laid down a galaxy-brained take for us this week, folks. Entitled yeah. "The Link Between Pot and Mass Shootings May Be Closer Than We Think." Oh. Uh. Hmm. But then again, it may not. Who's to say? (laughs) Who's to say? She did post this on her Twitter account, um, like, and ended her her synopsis of it by saying, join the dots, Mm. which is like some great conspiracy theorist energy. Um, She's going to go QAnon. Join the dots, because I'm not going to be doing the work to do that for you. (laughs) Think about it. Yeah. 
Think about it. Um, sometimes people smoke weed. Also, mass shootings happen. Think about that. So, um, so Miranda says to us in her wonderful style, you can't, well, oh, I, sh- I should also say that like incredible boomer energy from calling it pot all the way through this. Pot. I haven't heard that one in a, <laughs> in a long time. In donkey's ears, you know? Mary Jane. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Miranda says, you can't walk through the streets of Manhattan these days without smelling weed. Even as evidence mounts of the health problems associated with marijuana, New York has insisted on joining other greedy states scrambling to legalize this deceptively dangerous drug. You know this brand new drug, mm-hmm. marijuana? It's a gateway drug. That's what I've heard. Oof. I remember um, the first time I smoked pot and then immediately started shooting up heroin the same day. Mm. Now here we are on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> the logical. Join the dots. The end point. Um, I'm just imagining like that uh, that little montage from uh, Requiem for a Dream where they like, you know, mm. cook up the spoon and shoot up the thing and then the irises get really big uh, and then they're all sitting around in a circle with microphones. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we should start a podcast. <laughs> So Miranda goes on to say, it makes no sense at a time when American youth is suffering from an unprecedented mental health crisis. I would say Miranda does not do a, an enormous amount of investigation into the Research ideas or- of what perhaps is contributing to this unprecedented mental health crisis. She says, and in all honesty, we cannot rule out a connection between increasing marijuana oh use, God. mental illness, and the recent spate of mass shootings by disturbed young men. To which I ask, can we rule it in? Yeah. <laughs> she, <I'll-> she continues, <laughs> yeah. we don't yet know much about the mental state or drug use of the El Paso or Dayton killers. Hmm. So, yep. so mm-hmm. we're, we're not ruling it in? So, literally nothing. No reason to think this. Can't rule it in and can't rule it out. So, you know. Flawless logic here. Join the dots. No correlation is causation. Join the dots. A former girlfriend of Dayton killer Connor Betts, 24, has indicated he was mentally ill. And two of his friends interviewed by reporters this week mentioned his previous drug use. So this is from an article that she links to here to say he indicated he was mentally ill. Uh, it's about his ex-girlfriend. Lindsay Doll said she always suspected something was off about her beau and heard stories at Bellbrook High School about the hit list that Betts had allegedly compiled. So this was the list of people at his school that he wanted to kill. Her friends had warned her about his aggressiveness in previous relationships, pushing one ex-girlfriend into a roaring river. What the fuck? It's probably meant to sound scary, but it also sounds mildly funny to me. Um, And screaming at another while pinning her against a wall, she shared. That is not funny. Despite that, she grew to trust him and the pair bonded over their shared mental health struggles. Doll has suffered from anxiety and depression, she said. As time went on, though, Doll started to realize that Betts was in desperate need of professional help. Hmm. And talked often about dark, evil things he was hearing in his head, she told the paper. Miranda does not link to any of the articles where they talked about what kind of drugs this guy is said to have used. I wonder if maybe if the uh, if the the police and the legal system were a little more invested in things like, say, 
Mental uh, health support? Mental health and identifying people before. I wonder if there was maybe uh, some kind of professional help that could be funded by mm. some sort of government mm. initiative, like, say, Medicare for All or something. And I wonder also if there's another link that could be, perhaps be made here between... Oh, God, I'm just throwing this out here. Maybe violence against women mm. and going on to being a great big weirdo that uh, shoots a bunch of people. This is something that we're going to have to continue to draw, uh, to join the dots between for Miranda, yeah, because right. she, it, she does a lot of... Pot, right? She does a lot of talking about how there is a mental health crisis. She does a lot of talking about how we are failing young men, because this is one of her favorite topics. Um, but Miranda also, like, doesn't ever connect this to perhaps any kind of um, attitudes or cultural or systemic problems that lead uh, young men to be extremely hateful towards women. Mm-hmm. So let's... Uh, Continue on here. She says, just last year, the Parents Opposed to Pot lobby group, Bop Pop, um, tried to sound the alarm on the link between marijuana and mass shootings, compiling a list of mass killers it claims were heavy users of marijuana from a young age. From Aurora, Colorado shooter James Holmes and Tucson, Arizona shooter Jared Lochner to Chattanooga, Tennessee shooter Muhammad Abdulaziz. I wonder um, if they... Um I mean, this might be outside their purview. I mean, it's right in the name, parents opposed to pop. But did they did they happen to collect any data on whether they drink beer at all? Was it in there? Uh, well, I don't know because Miranda did not link to this thing. Where she, the closest thing she has is this lobby group claims that they were heavy users. Oh, of okay. Oh, all right. Wow. So we haven't really compiled any data. We're just uh, throwing that throwing that lure in the river and seeing what bites. I love these There's, parent lobby groups like Mothers Against Heroin. Mm, fathers <laughs> denying Fortnite and <laughs> fighting for fathers' rights. It's adorable. Now this All is going time. this is going to be a running theme here is Miranda identifying one singular aspect of a study and then not talking about any other factor from this. She says, until we understand those links, it is nuts to enact lax laws that encourage more young people to use a drug proven to trigger mental illness. President Trump was right to highlight mental illness in his remarks Wednesday on the El Paso and Dayton shootings. Not that his unscrupulous critics will listen. So determined are they to brand him a white supremacist. Mm, Don't look any further into the El Paso shooting. Just... Take it from her Take it word. At face value. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just at face value, that um, it's just a big old. Just they're just trying to hang shit on our president, President Trump. Is she the only Australian who willingly calls Donald Trump President Trump? I feel like it. Probably mm. President Trump, sir. Mm. So. She says here, we know from a 2018 FBI report that 40% of active shooters in the US between 2008 and 2013 had been diagnosed with a mental illness before the attack, and 70% had mental health stressors or mental health concerning behaviors. Again, we're, so far this has not reached the point of saying, how can we actually give these people access to the help that we're all agreeing that they hmm. desperately need It's just mm-hmm. purely used as a blame. Yep. Um, yeah, she, like, I have no doubt at all that Miranda is not a supporter of the push for Medicare for All in the US. 
So for anyone actually interested in preventing future such massacres, the so-called red flag legislation Trump is advocating to deny people with mental illness access to firearms is the most logical measure and the one most likely to be embraced by both sides of politics. Um, Again, the only thing we're talking about is saying don't sell this one person a gun as opposed to, say, doing anything about the 400 million guns in the country. Uh, not uh, very, very much the treating the the symptom and not the disease type mm, thing. Here. Also, I would love to see the actual stats on how many of these mass shooters had a diagnosed mental illness. Mm. But this red flag legislation should also apply to marijuana use, seeing <sighs> as the two go hand in hand. <laughs> That's right, folks. Mass shootings, marijuana use, hand in hand. Join the dots. Doing pot. You can't address the youth mental health crisis without considering the effect of rising teen marijuana use. Among American teenagers, the drug's daily use has become as or more popular than daily cigarette smoking. According, yeah. according to the National Institute of Health's 2017 Monitoring the Future study. The kids are all right. Now, she does not actually show you any data here. Right? She just says, according to this study, um, more kids smoke weed on a daily basis now than smoke cigarettes. Right? She does not analyze that data in any sense and perhaps take into account whether or not cigarette smoking itself has drastically reduced over time. Mm. So I went and cracked open the study, National Institute of Health's uh, 2017 Monitoring the Future study. And on this big chart that we have of teens more likely to use marijuana than cigarettes, so, uh, charting from 1992 to 2017, we can see that uh, marijuana use has risen from about 2% of people using it daily to about 6% of, of teens using it daily. And daily cigarette smoking has dropped down to 4.2%, which is less than 6%. But it's dropped from a peak in 1997 of about 25% of teens being daily cigarette smokers. Wow. Holy shit. Also, it's fun to note that um, that rate of 6% of marijuana use has not significantly risen since about 1997. Yeah. Yep. It's it's pretty much stayed very similar the whole time. Uh, the only difference is that now a quarter of teenagers aren't daily cigarette smokers, <laughs> which I think oh, is hell. fine. I think it's probably Seems fine. Good. Um, also from the same report, uh, 71% of high school seniors do not view regular marijuana smoking as being very harmful, but 64.7% say they disapprove of regular marijuana smoking. So it's almost like the majority of high school seniors that they have talked to don't think that you will immediately become a school shooter if you smoke weed regularly, but they also don't think it's great for you in general, which seems like a totally accurate assessment. Yeah, a pretty fine and normal thing to think about smoking weed, I think. Uh, Yeah, take it from a pro, smoking shitloads of weed every day doesn't make you the most productive person in the world. Mm. Uh, But we all know that, it's fine. She says, we've successfully demonized cigarettes. Poor, <laughs> in, poor innocent cigarettes. Smokers' oh. rights. 
<laughs> We've successfully demonized cigarettes while new laws send kids the message that marijuana is harmless. God damn it. Um, yet we've known for more than a decade of the link between marijuana and psychosis, depression, and schizophrenia. A 2011 study of the British Medical Journal of 2000 teenagers who found those who, uh, found those who d- smoked marijuana were twice as likely to develop psychosis as those who didn't. Another British Medical Journal study estimated that 13% of cases of schizophrenia could be averted if all cannabis use were prevented. <laughs> So, wow, Miranda just goes on at this point to cite a series of studies by only pulling out the figure which suggests the correlation between marijuana use and an increased likelihood of, of schizophrenia, mm-hmm. but gives no indication of whether any of the studies included any other factors, um, whether or not people were like, uh, you know, predisposed in their family history to mental illness, whether or not, say, I don't know, like in these cases that we're talking about, they had already been diagnosed with mental illness and hadn't been able to obtain any form of treatment. Mm. Who knows? Who knows? She continues on. Young people and those with a genetic predisposition are most at risk. (laughs) Just kind of just drops that one in there. Just, uh, Why big- is she allowed to write this? Why is there no law against this? This should be a felony offence. <laughs> uh, she says, The evidence of harm is overwhelming and it defies logic to think that legalising marijuana won't increase the harm. I love that you can like just do no work whatsoever and you can just claim that something defies logic instead mm. of, you know, maybe... Uh, <sighs> I, I don't know, maybe looking at the studies that look at the harm that various drugs cause in their like social contexts, in their health contexts, and um, look at the ways that um, stuff like legalizing marijuana does not immediately stack on top of, um, you know, drinking eight beers every night and then doing a DUI, right? Like they don't like, you don't just add those things all together. And there's so much stuff that you can go and look at for, for this. But she's just said that it defies, it defies logic. Well, it makes me think of like the, makes me think of the, uh, like Claire Lehman Quillette style of writing where as long as you say, um, we're just interested in debate and asking questions then you don't actually have to answer any of those questions. Hmm. We have to do it, say. You decide. (laughs) We report. You decide. Miranda says, uh, we didn't have to wait for three mass shootings in two weeks to know that young males are in crisis. Mm Mm-hmm. You're almost there. Now, again, we know uh, from on this show, reading Miranda's columns and her history of columns, um, that Miranda thinks that toxic masculinity is made up she thinks the boys will be boys Mm -hmm. um she thinks that you know uh telling off kids at school for beating the shit out of other kids is bad because that's just their natural alpha behavior coming through and it should be encouraged why are men in crisis then i'm confused well what she doesn't note she doesn't note anything like um this from uh new york times piece this week The motivations of these gunmen are often muddled, complex, or unknown. 
A common thread connecting many of them, other than access to powerful firearms, is a history of hating women, assaulting wives, girlfriends, and female family members, or sharing misogynistic views online. This is a very common one, too. Very, very common. It's almost like all of these dudes had these massive red flags of just hatred of women, violent misogynist attitudes and behavior. Um, but hey, let's not examine that, Miranda. He smoked Let's not get pipe. into that too much. It's probably the weed. Uh, youth suicide is at an all-time high, and rates of serious mental illness in this country are on the rise, especially among people aged 18 to 25, the cohort most likely to use marijuana. Hmm. But, hang on. Sorry, let's just, let's just rewind um, there, Andrew. So, that's on the rise. So, if you imagine, like, a little line uh-huh. on, the, on the chart. Got the chart, and that line, it's sort of doing that wiggly thing, but it's going up. Mm-hmm. It's going up. Um, year on year, that, that little line's going up. But we just looked at a chart before, Andrew, that said that the weed use in high school kids is is not going up. It's not. It's about the same the same spot. So one's, one's sort of going up, and this is the bit where I'm getting confused. Uh, the other one's sort of just at a straight line. So my conclusion, I think, out of that would be a little bit different to the one that she's drawing here but I'm not a big old brain genius uh, in the media so I think you're just not getting it Theo you're just you're not smart enough to join the dots here I don't get it join Mm. the dots I'm not I'm not very good at joining the dots Hmm. plus you know I mean all the things that Miranda does to to help support the plight of all of these young men in crisis Um, Mm -hmm. I think that we can all we can all help out by chipping in and contributing to the causes that Miranda advocates, like um, banning all trans people from toilets and dropping charges of child abuse against senior figures in the Catholic Church. Mm. Her pet causes that do the most to help these young men. Uh, she says, young people born in 1999, the birth year of the El Paso shooter, were 50% more likely than those born in 1985 to report feeling, quote, serious psychological distress in the previous month, according to oh, an alarming hmm. study published this year in wow. the Journal of Abnormal Psychology. I wonder if there's, like, any other issues in the United States or the world at large that could be affecting... People's mental health. Yeah, that could be affecting like all the, the the young males in the states who feel like there is no future for them, or mm. who feel socially isolated, or who are cooking their brains. Anyway, or, let's not do anything about it. No. Let's just leave it there. I wonder if any kind of self radicalization is taking place from these people who are already precariously mentally unwell and then spend um, 20 hours a day sitting in a room uh, smoking weed and watching Jordan Peterson videos. Mm-hmm. Nope, probably not. It's the pipe. Probably not. It's the kush. Instead, uh, she says, with all we know, it's time to put the brakes on marijuana legalization before it's too late. Here's, here's the fucking thing for me, Andrew. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to claim that um, any any industry is completely healthy as far as um, the way that we act and we enact laws and and do that sort of thing, right? But I know that you know as a um, someone that's 
at uni to become an engineer and engineers are not free of you know the woo factor or whatever there's plenty of dickheads out there we have to do a bunch of stuff about um about the understanding understanding data right and like as as we've kind of pointed a million times in this in this story you know understanding the difference between correlation and causality mm-hmm. understanding significances right and putting and putting all this stuff together and, and coming away with a um, with a viewpoint that at least somewhat accurately represents the reality of what it is that we're doing and we'll go through a peer review process mm-hmm where people go, oh, no, maybe your numbers here are not quite right. Maybe maybe this could be better and that, that could be better. Now, in the case of Miranda Devine, just, rem- just remind me if you can, do you, know, do you know what she did at uni, if anything? Did she hmm. go? That's, that's the uh, go? liberal indoctrination <laughs> centre. Yeah, that, that's, that's right. But, like, in places where, uh, you know, in, in the medical field, in actually, you know, in, in medical research and surgery and all these sorts of things, we have to we have to understand how the world, how data works and how it describes the world and how how we can make decisions based on that. And there's so much of that that she's sort of pointed to, but then taken just the very surface level, picked out whatever, like you said, picked out whatever she wants from the article um, to that that supports her cause and just passes blasts past every everything else, right? But whereas in those fields. There are pretty definite ways of, of working with this. And as I alluded to earlier, right, like, you know, if you look at where where things like, you know, marijuana um, stack versus the things that we already have, like alcohol and cigarettes and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. you know, they they can be positioned further down the, the harmfulness ratings, right? Um, and in fact, we know that if you kind of stack up alcohol, for example, versus a whole bunch of stuff, the only things that really exceeded as far as harmfulness goes are, you know, heroin and cocaine, just depending on, like, what, how you weight the factors and all that sort of, yeah, like sort of thing. <laughs> but there's a real way that... And, and ice, you know, the, but there's a real way that you can, like, look at this stuff and, st- and stack these things in the realms where, where um, your actions have actual real-life um, health consequences for, for others. And the media, I would put in that same in that same basket. But of course, we don't have to we don't have to do that. We don't have to, uh, you know, understand the, the differences between correlation and causality. Or even if we do, we don't have to enact them or, or act by them. Right? We can just say whatever the fuck we want, mm-hmm. and just say, well, you know, some people are saying, or yes. uh, hmm. many. Many, Many have saying, said, <laughs> um, you know, or don't even cover it. You just blast past it, saying, you know, the two go hand in hand. Join the um, dots. Join join the dots, and it's an honest, it's it's an honest like legislative failure, I think. And the thing reading this column that I get, the impression that I get, as far as far as you know, beyond, we need to be looking at more at the um, at access to guns and especially. Uh, people that have a history of domestic violence is maybe we need to be legislating more journalistic pro- uh, practices, right? To me, that's my outcome. For they should time. at least meet the standards of a first year college essay Absolutely. where this would be returned with a bunch of red circles around where it says many have said and things like that, just with a big question mark. Yep. Big yeah, red, it would say who? Marker. Citation, who? please. Yeah, it's it's absolutely maddening um, to me to to see this stuff. But of course, uh, 
because we have this this concept of free speech that you should be able to say whatever you want as long as you can show yourself to be as dumb as somebody that shouldn't know better, uh, then you can just keep doing it, apparently. Well, and also where where the line comes in as, oh, but this isn't journalism, this is an opinion piece. A, so, yeah, that's right. You just, you change the little tag in the CMS yep. from... from uh, Say whatever you like. to, to editorial, <laughs> and uh, you're you're pretty much legally in the clear there. Well, I saw a I saw an exchange um, on Twitter recently between uh, Gina Rushton, who writes for uh, BuzzFeed, I believe, um, and she specifically covers a lot of like uh, reproductive health stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's been uh, changes to the New South Wales laws on abortion going through Parliament at the moment. And as is always the case, it's been getting severely misrepresented by like the religious right by who are Bobby casting Joyce it. specifically. Yeah. Yep, people who are casting it as um, <clears throat> as like like the Donald Trump thing where he was like, "Oh, I'm hearing that a, a woman yeah. can have a baby, and then they wrap the baby in the blanket, and then the the doctor comes in and says, i 'I'm going to shoot the baby.'" Yeah, and they're like, uh, it says here, right here in the law, that um, all it takes is the consensus of two doctors to um, undergo a late-term abortion. And that means that they can do whatever they want. And people are like, oh, cool. Now, just show us one case. Yeah. Show just show us, us an, show us an example. Just give us, just give, you know, you, you, you're very worried about this. Just... You just give us an example of this of this occurring where two doctors have conspired together uh, for non medical reasons, not to, for the interests of health of the of the mother. To murder a baby that is nine child. months old. Just, just you can you can just show us the data anytime you like. Just you can just give us that. But no, like like you said, it's it's not they're they're beyond that realm of uh, responsibility to actually accurately portray this event. Well, and so so they they ran a column in the Sydney Morning Herald, written by a minister in, in the New South Wales government, who was like, "Oh, there will be aborting full term babies. They'll be killing nine month old babies and stuff." And they'll be putting them in their little swaddling and placing them in one of those old timey wound up catapults <laughs> and flinging them in out the baby of the city. Catapult. In yep. the baby catapult, flinging them trebucheting, into the ocean. <laughs> trebucheting this baby out into or the Or to Sydney Cuba, Harbor. where they may grow up to be communists. Yes. Mm. Many are saying. Put, put the little hat on. Put on the little Che Guevara hat. <laughs> Place catapult a little them to Cuba. comically small cigar in their mouth. So, um, so yeah, and, and they were having this exchange where Gina Rushton was asking Ben Cubby, who is the editor of this oh, paper, boy, yeah. saying... Why is this guy just allowed to print this stuff in which he makes these assertions of this stuff that there is no evidence for existing? And he's stating it like it's a fact and he's doing it in your paper. And Ben Cubby's response was, oh, because it's it's an opinion piece and that can be considered his opinion. And it's like you've you've pulled this, like this specific part was like pulled out as the big pull quote in the page of him going... They'll be taking 18-month-old babies and feeding mm-hmm. them into the Soylent Green machine. Um, so, just to, just to cap it off, this might, um, this might help make you feel better about it, Theo. Mm. 
Uh, Miranda Devine uh, has a master's in journalism from Northwestern University in the USA and a bachelor of science in maths from Macquarie University. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you joking? Nope. Holy shit. Both of those places should be ashamed. (laughs) Just makes it so much worse, doesn't it? It makes it a lot worse. You should not. You should know better. My God. Um, she does. She has a little, a little addendum on her, on her thing here, um, which is apparently a, a piece of opinion that she couldn't wedge into the actual article. But she's very helpfully titled it "Neo Nazi Theory." Yep, that's a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> Neo Nazi. Donald Trump can't win. She says he flew to Dayton and El Paso Wednesday, signalling gun law concessions and trying to unite the nation. But his enemies only stepped up in an increasingly unhinged demonization campaign. Ah, it's Trump derangement syndrome. Uh Take the MSNBC intelligence analyst who suggested on air that the president was sending a sly code to neo-Nazis by ordering that US flags fly at half-staff throughout Thursday evening to mark last weekend's mass shootings. In his crackpot theory, former FBI assistant director Frank... Figliuzzi. Figliuzzi. <laughs> told MSNBC's 11th hour of Brian Williams that Trump's choice of Thursday's date, the 8th of the 8th, is a very significant signal in the neo-Nazi and white supremacy movement. That's because the letter H is the 8th letter of the alphabet, and to them, the numbers 8-8 stand together for Heil Hitler. Thank you for the this explanation. Is- mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that this is possibly new information to her as well, the way that she's written this. <laughs> This is just madness. When the president's foes are so determined to paint him as the devil, they only hurt themselves and help him. Oh, eat shit. Hmm. Well, actually, I actually probably agree with her on that last part um, in that assigning Trump any kind of agency beyond just pure reflexive synapsal-like firings in his brain to go, I'm going to do this on the 8th of the 8th to signal to all my people. It's, it, that's very weird. That's a that's assigning way more um, uh, cognitive ability to Trump than I, I believe is actually kicking around in mm, his head. True. Now, while I agree with that, hmm. let me just say, on the subject of these mass shootings, I don't know if either of you guys saw the photos that came out of the hospital visit that he did in El Paso. Oh, yes. I saw, I saw one did. of them with him just like wildly grinning like an idiot. Well, let me let me give you the specifics, though, mm, right? Please. So, there was a there was a, a couple, the parents, who were killed by the gunman as they used their bodies to shield their two month old baby. The baby survived, and the parents didn't. So it's two month old orphaned baby in this hospital, and they did a photo op with this two-month-old Latino baby where Melania and Donald are standing there holding the baby and they're both grinning and Donald Trump's giving a big thumbs up. (sighs) Standing in front of like a banner in the hospital. Like, you know, at at a press roll type thing. And it's the kind of thing that makes you feel... Like your brain is splitting in half. Hmm. It's just trying to escape out your head in any way that it can. Yeah, and and there was also the fact that um, there were reports afterwards that the baby had already been discharged from the hospital. 
Jesus Christ. And that they bought it back for the photo op. Everything is awful. Well, not only is it awful, but I... This is the thing. Like, so I I saw, like, all these different journalists, like, from the States talking about this photo and just saying, like, what am I looking at? (laughs) Like, like people who were genuinely just mortified at this thing. They were just like, what level of just cold mm, malevolence cold malevolent indifference to humanity do you need to be on to be like hey let's get a picture of this orphaned baby from a mass shooting and i'll give a big smile and a thumbs up to the camera as though to say everything's going mm. great folks we got the best orphans here like <laughs> so powerful <laughs> and and just coming back to that miranda divine thing like 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 you said the i i agree I agree with your general premise that Trump's sundowning brain is so gelatinous that anything that he does, I think it's pretty hard to like attribute this grand scale of of conspiracy to. But it but decisions like this are so inexplicable that I cannot fault people for looking at it and saying what is this, happening? Is yeah, he, this is it, so strange that it has to be deliberate. Well, like, I could understand somebody looking at this and going, is he giving a thumbs up to white supremacist fans of his that, like, it's going great, we're killing them. Like, awesome. My fans are out here, like, killing, uh, killing illegal immigrants and mm. Latinos. Here is an orphaned baby. I'm happy about it. Because why else would you be doing this? Why would you it's be doing this? Completely that? inexplicable. Uh, I, I still don't. Ass- like, okay, obviously, no, no, I'm, obviously, no, no, he's a white supremacist, but it's like, the, I think the man likes putting his thumb in the up position. So do I. Like, uh, th- this is all I'm saying. I'm not saying that I agree with it. What I'm saying is that these things are so inexplicable and so far removed from having any level of, like, sensibility. Baseline humanity. Baseline humanity or consideration or just being in touch with what any normal person would think about any of this shit in any way that I I genuinely cannot fault people who look at it and go, I'm so fucking confused and perplexed by this thing that I have to assign some type of meaning to it. Mm. Because that's like often that's what I think a lot of conspiracist stuff is trying to assign some kind of meaning to the inexplicable and in this case it's just like on what fucking planet would anyone in group of people go great i'll get the camera Mm -hmm. cool someone get the uh social media person we'll get this get that right up on the twitter account put a bad instagram filter over this big smile with the orphan baby everyone say no parents oh like boy that's bleak just just mind-numbing and so yeah from miranda's perspective it's like yeah people people are so determined to paint him in particular lights because there's so little fucking explanation for the things that they do it's just misunderstood just, man just mind-melting stuff speaking of I huge think. pieces of shit should we close on the the news of the day uh, news of the day. 
Yeah, speaking of uh, wild conspiracy theory type that stuff. That turn out to be somewhat true, although directed at a different group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. R.I.P. Jeffrey Epstein, who was found dead today in his, uh, in his jail cell. He was found dead from, I'm doing, doing huge air quotes here, a suicide. Which is funny because uh, he also attempted suicide like a week ago and was under suicide watch when it happened. Mm, the reports I've heard are that uh, he was not under suicide watch. They took him off suicide watch, which is, mm. it's just what you do for someone that tried to kill themselves very recently. Yep. Uh, and also is an extremely high profile uh, suspect in a case involving some of the world's most powerful people. Including the president. Yep, and uh, former President Bill Clinton. Uh, someone called no, no, Prince Andrew, who I had to Google. <laughs> Sorry? Oh, yeah, not the Clintons. God, I love that um, a lot of the uh, right-wing responses to this are like, oh, well, what about Bill Clinton? And it's like, yeah, dude, he's a piece of yeah. shit. Fuck Get that guy. <laughs> yes, Bill Clinton, him too. Fuck. Mm. Yeah, um, absolutely bizarre news. Basically, what everybody said was going to happen with Jeffrey Epstein. There were, like, mm-hmm. a lot of people who have been covering this and talking Don't about it. I don't think anyone's saying, buying that it's a suicide either, from any side of the political spectrum. Well, considering how many people said there is, like, he's never going to get to court yeah. and talk about this stuff. Um. Folks, it's really genuinely hard to talk about Jeffrey Epstein without sounding like an unhinged conspiracy theorist. Uh, Because the genuine and true story of everything that relates to Jeffrey Epstein is is just unbelievable. Billionaire elite pedophile ring. Billionaire elite child sex trafficking pedophile ring. He had already been charged and found guilty of this. Um, years ago, so it's not like it's a it's an unfounded assertion or anything like that. Um, that whole case was uh, run by an attorney general at the time, who uh, Jim Acosta, who for some reason arranged a nice sweetheart deal with Jeffrey Epstein, in which they only took testimony from one of his victims, despite many of them existing and giving testimony. They only admitted the testimony of one of his victims to the trial, and they deliberately chose the oldest one so that the penalties would be the least severe. Wow. Incredible. They also made a deal that said that anybody implicated in that case through um, records of their involvement coming to light would be exempt from charges and would be made immune. Um, and then they let him do his, uh, do his term in a minimum security prison uh, country club style prison which he only had to go to at night he was allowed to just leave in the morning and go to his office and work there um, as though nothing had ever happened it's true that when you're rich you can just do crimes yep that's the way yeah. that it is there's nothing you can't do uh, and also yeah just just look into it because like none of this stuff is none of this stuff is like Crazy, crazy, you know, st- stuff I'm hearing from the underbelly of the internet. A lot of this stuff is like things you can read in like the New York Times and the Daily Beast and all these like places that you see normal news. <laughs> like, even the stories from that case, from the original 
case that he was tried um, by Attorney General Jim Acosta, who uh, is now um, what Trump's transportation secretary, immigration secretary. Oh, he's now okay. he's now a senior figure in the Trump administration. Um, but yeah, even even the things about like the that the person who got twice as much jail time as Jeffrey Epstein from that case was the person who gave his little black book detailing um, all of the all of the people that he has taken to his private sex island. Uh, so like his personal assistant who turned that stuff over to the FBI got twice as much jail time as Jeffrey Epstein did. Um, except before he got all of his jail time, he got murdered by a crooked cop. Uh, and then that cop um, mysteriously became ill and died within six weeks. Uh, so basically just a whole lot of instances of anybody involved on the periphery of this case um, being scared for their life and then suddenly being assassinated or getting sick and dying very shortly afterwards. Seems like a normal amount of people to die, though. Yep. Terrifying stuff. Um, I think we can all assume now that this stuff is never going to see the light of day and that all of the people who are on the flight logs of Jeffrey Epstein's private jet, like Bill Clinton and Matt Groening and lots of very high-profile figures, um, will now go unexamined. So, justice for all. Everything's good. Justice. Woo. Everything is peachy. But, uh, But, yeah, basically... Please, please have a read into some of the Jeffrey Epstein saga and then try to convince yourself that your brain is not melting and pouring out of your ears. Uh, speaking of exactly that, Donald J. Trump has just retweeted a tweet from Terence, Terence K. Williams in the... Uh, it says, uh, died of suicide on 24-7 suicide watch? Yeah, right. How does that happen? Um, Wait, Donald Trump retweeted that? I think it's safe to say that this is perhaps not going away yeah no the the president of the united states just retweeted a tweet that says jeffrey epstein had information on bill clinton and now he's dead retweet if you're not surprised Mm, you can just blame bill clinton uh hashtag clinton body count hashtag clinton crime family um, he also retweeted a tweet from Breaking News Live, an extremely fake-looking news source, <laughs> that says, Breaking, documents were unsealed yesterday revealing that top Democrats, including Bill Clinton, took private trips to Jeffrey Epstein's pedophilia island. Uh, so, yeah, they've, they've got the... That's so weird. I saw another news story earlier that said one of the girls testifying says that she was recruited for Epstein's thing on Mar-a-Lago. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting news. So it goes to some pretty pretty wild levels. Well, I guess we're not going to know peace for the next couple of weeks. I think I'm just sort of oh, seeing my no. future as, as far as being online and having to process these things. Why do yep. we live right now? Why yep. did this happen to us? Extremely strange times, folks. Uh, so, yeah. Hmm. Enjoy if you start to dig into that stuff. Uh, just try and wrap your big old brain around it, and it's not going to work. Enjoy yourselves. Great. So that's it for us, folks. Um, you can get an extra bonus episode of the podcast every week by going to patreon.com forward slash Punta Vista. Uh, you can buy merchandise at puntavista.com forward slash merchandise. Just going to start saying these things faster and faster. Uh, that's it. 
that's it. The world is on fire and we should all be worried that somebody smoked weed. That's it. That's the part. That's the part what did all of this. Join the dots. Did Jeffrey Epstein ever smoke pot? I think we need to look more into this. Probably. We should ask Miranda about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Famous pedophile defender, Miranda Devine. Let's well, ask we know, True. we know Bill Clinton smoked weed. Join we do know dots. that. Mm, I'm joining the dots right now. Mm. All right, folks. We're going to continue joining the dots. And uh, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.